0: Welcome to another episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast here at Compass Bible Church. Everything that we do is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. So Life Group Leaders, for you, it's just a reminder regularly that this podcast is to equip you, to prepare you for the work that you have ahead of you. This week as you're leading and discipling your Life Group. And so here at Compass, we exist to reach people for Christ. We exist to teach people to be like Christ, and we exist to train people to serve Christ. And so my prayer in this podcast is it is a means to that very end. And we continued in our sermon series, Jesus is Greater, by looking at Matthew 8 verses 5 through 13, with a sermon entitled, The Unlikely Faith. And so I'll read that text for you as we get started. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. As I, I shared in the sermon, I think to get a good grasp of, of the textual point. Like, what is the point of the text as we, as we read verses 5 through 13? And the meaning of, it, of this text, if, if you want to put it in a, a synopsis and summarize it in a sentence, it's, it's this, that the centurion is an example of un, an unlikely individual whose faith in the authority of Jesus reveals that the kingdom of God will be full of people from every nation who trust in the authority of Christ. It's a wonderful picture that we begin seeing unveiled very slowly but clearly as we unravel the New Testament that these Gentiles, including people like these centurion, will uh, inherit the kingdom of heaven, and simply because they trust in Christ and his authority to save. Now, for us, when we think about applying this to our lives, this is where we get the preaching point. Like, What's the point for us? Well, The point for us is our lives should serve as a shining example of unlikely people whose faith in Christ's authority proves sufficient to inherit the kingdom of God. And so for us, as we are living lives as leaders, as Christians, uh, what we're saying is, okay, like the centurion, my life should be a wonderful example for Jesus to, to pause and to point at our life and explain the kingdom of God through our submission to his authority. And so that uh, submission and that faith that we have in Christ uh, or prove will prove, is proving in our lives sufficient to inherit the kingdom of God because it isn't through any other meritorious act or work that we're going to inherit the kingdom of God. And so Christ it marvels here at the centurion's faith because He looks and says, this man understands authority. He understands my authority. He understands a bit more of this picture even than his Jewish counterparts who should understand how this is working and that they don't, but yet God has saw fit to open this centurion's eyes to the authority of Christ. And so that's really the the gist and, and the meat of what this text is all about and so what we did is we distilled that down into three application points if we're going to be examples like the centurion and if we're going to be an example of this kind of faith we have to be number one people who appeal to God on behalf of of others, I loved uh, our prayer night on Sunday night. We had almost 100 people gathered together praying and doing this thing, appealing to God on behalf of others, of other countries, of our church, of other churches in our community. And it was wonderful to see so many people uh, exercising a kind of faith that is very unlikely in our culture. And just as unlikely in our culture, it was in that culture, to have a, a Roman Gentile uh, military leader going to Christ on behalf of his servant, asking for Christ to heal him. And so it's important for us, if we're going to take the example of the centurion, that we're going to be people who are intercessors. We're going to pray on behalf of other people. I talked a lot about that in the sermon, but uh, it's sufficient to say that if we're going to be people who truly have faith in Christ and his will in the kingdom of God, then we're going to be People who are praying according to that will that we see in the Sermon on the Mount, and that is going to include praying for God's will to be done in the life of other people. Number two, we need to express our faith with an unworthy disposition. Sufficient time was spent parsing this uh, in the sermon, but this idea that we live in a culture that spends so much time talking about how we deserve uh, a lot of things. And uh, and this has crept into the Christian life and the Christian faith. And this is when I do love the, the Puritan tradition. I mean, these the Puritans are were very aware of their insufficiencies and they were very aware of their inability to do anything good and pleasing to God. I mean, Paul says that for no one is good, for no one no everyone has gone off on on their own, done their own thing. Uh, all of us uh, not only just fall short of the glory of God, even as we think about our our pre-salvation standing before God, but that, that we only have the blessings that we do simply because of the grace and mercy of God that we didn't deserve either. And so we must keep this disposition of saying, I'm just not worthy. Point number three, we need to desire Christ to use us as a kingdom parable we got to make sure, and this is why I d- didn't want us to miss that in this text, that if you look at the overarching uh, segment of the scripture, the, and what I mean by that is, is this pericope, and this 5 through 13, and I know we, we we break it apart into small text to come to these textual or these teaching points, but here I just want you to look at the whole text, 5 through 13, and say, what, what has happened here? What's happened here is is the centurion has exercised a faith in which Christ is marveled at the centurion's faith. And so he takes time and he says, let me tell you about the kingdom of God as it connects to this man's life. And, I mean, what would it look like for us as uh, Christians to have our lives in uh, the culture that we engage in to be used as kingdom parables? Like, What is it like to enter the kingdom of God? Who enters the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God and who gets to go? And we can say, hey, you know what? I am in a great example of an unlikely person who inherits the kingdom of heaven. And even that, this idea of saying I'm humble, uh, but I'm also clear on what the gospel is. And if I'm clear what the gospel is, I'm going to be humble because I don't deserve to be there. But that is the only people who are going to be in eternity are people who don't deserve to be there. And so what a wonderful way to express the, the parable and the story of the kingdom by using our own lives as examples. And that's why it does matter how we live. It does matter that we exercise our faith. It does matter. I mean, our lives have implications and consequences for our decisions, and one of those has a lot to do with your witness and your testimony. What a wonderful privilege it was for the centurion to be codified in the canon of Scripture simply because he had faith in Christ. And, you know, what a privilege it would be for you, uh, even the rewards that Christ promises to give, simply because you do your job, like we talked about earlier, uh, as we opened up Luke 17, that God would, would be pleased and would reward those who are just faithful to him, who are just doing their job, but yet we'd still, God would pour on grace and mercy and even reward just the fact that we're doing our job and we're allowing our lives to reflect the kingdom of God. We're we're being lights in the world that cannot be hidden. I mean, that idea of even with the sermon on the mount, it continues to to help us understand the rest of the gospel of Matthew. That's just what we're supposed to be: lights of the world, kingdom parables, or who gets into the kingdom. And I pray that you spend plenty of time discussing that in your uh, application questions, which I'll look there now. Your application questions. Uh, there is some on here, particularly there's one. Uh, that is that is a straight exegetical question. I just thought maybe it'd be helpful uh, to start helping our church at, at times, particularly right now in this sermon, to uh, ask some questions from the text and try to get the answer from the text. And so, question number four is a good example of a exegetical question that I've placed into this week's application questions. What can you ascertain from the centurion's faith in Matthew eight ten through thirteen that would make Jesus marvel? And all that we're asking here. Uh, is go into the text and, and be able to circle and underline or write down, here are some aspects of the centurion's faith that is the, the reason why Jesus is marveling at the situation. And so you are going to need to know a little bit of the cultural background, the history. Uh, you're going you to know a little bit about what's going on. And so that's why it's an exegetical question, because you're exegeting. You're pulling out the meaning of the text to help you understand exactly what's happening. And so uh, you can draw some attention to that, maybe not spend too much time in your group on that, but it is worth looking at and at least helping your group learn how to answer exegetical questions that help them pull out the meaning of the text, because all the rest of these questions, for the most part, are applicational questions. So I've tried to, in in my study done the exegetical part to get to the applicational part of the question. And that's generally how we do application questions. But, you know, there's also, as we've been doing the Bible study question of the week, and as we're getting deeper into some of our studies, it's it's, it's wise to do exegetical questions and teaching our church how to pull out the meaning of these. However, when you get into your group, the reason why these can be, uh, these can be tricky is because your group can tend to spend all the time Uh, getting into, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? And we never get into, what does this mean for me today? And so make sure that when you spend time even doing these exegetical questions that you get into the applications. Like 2A, how do you plan to spend more time interceding for others around you? Uh, 3B, what are some biblical principles that help you live out a grateful but unworthy disposition toward God? You see, that's where we really start getting into, like, how does this impact my life For the kingdom of God. And so make sure that uh, you spend time pulling out not only the meaning of the text, but pull out the application of the text in the lives of those in your group. Your Bible study question of the week, it comes from Philippians 1, 9 through 11, and we'll be looking specifically at verse 9, when it says that Paul's prayer in verse 9 is that the Philippians' love would abound with knowledge and discernment. So the questions here are, how are knowledge and discernment applied in verses 10 through 11? Again, it's an exegetical question to pull out the meaning from those two verses when it comes to knowledge and discernment. And it says, how, can, uh, how are knowledge and discernment applied as tools to help the Philippians grow in their love for God and his people? And then it gets to us. What are areas of biblical knowledge that you would like to grow in this year that will help you grow your love for God and his people And so that's a good Bible study question of the week. Just begin pointing your group toward that. They should be doing it on their own, but it'd be wise for you guys to just, you know, every once in a while bring it up. Maybe answer that question, Uh, but definitely just remind them to stay on top of their Bible study question of the week as they're preparing for their own uh, men's and women's Bible studies uh, regularly each and every month. All right, guys. Hey, I reminded you guys last week, or I told you guys last week. I want to remind you this week. What I'd love for you guys to do is download the Logos Bible software. I would prefer that you did it on a laptop. Uh, however, how, whatever way that you do it uh, is, would be fine. Whether you want to do it on your iPad. I would encourage you not to do it on your phone. Or if you do it on your phone, uh like I have it on my phone. I think most people have it on their phone that you would just understand that the, the software doesn't work the same way on a phone as it does at least on an iPad. And so I would implore you, iPad or uh, laptop, and then bring it with you at our next life group leader training because I'd like to train you guys on uh, your Logos Bible study tools and help you guys get a good grip on uh, how, to, how to do better Bible study on Logos. All right, as far as announcements go, uh, we are announcing our D-NOW. The price is going to go up, I think, in about, yeah, I think next week. And so make sure that if you have students 6th through 12th grade, if you have the parents in your groups, remind them to sign up for D-NOW coming up in just a couple of weeks. We have our NEC conference coming up the first week of June. So I want to encourage you guys to continue reminding your group to sign up for our NEC conference as we're inviting all of our pastors from our sister churches to come speak and preach and do breakout sessions for, uh, the NEC, which is all about what is the gospel. And, uh, it's, it's for everybody. It's not just for the Compass Church. I mean, we're inviting churches in the community. We want you to invite people around, uh, that you would, uh, trust and believe would would benefit from this, which we believe would be everybody. And so take time to invite people to the NEC conference. Our Next Steps project, I I have not received an update. I get an update once a week, and so I know that the last update I have is over a week old, and we were at ninety two percent. So I I would uh, optimistically assume that we were we'd be above that now. So keep praying, uh, and uh, keep praying for what God would have for us when it comes to the Next Steps project. When it comes to Uh, nailing down a good plan, a good build plan, and the permits and the follow-through and the approvals that all need to go along with it. There's so much work to do. So be praying for me as I have to uh, begin having a lot of these conversations, particularly as as plans are changing and shifting a little bit just because of the needs. Uh, And, of course, anytime you get into a building project, you find that there is uh, insufficiencies in some areas that can be uh, fixed if you move it to another area. All those things are are things that I, I and the build team are working through now. So just be praying for that, guys. Uh, As far as that goes, I'm praying for your life group. I'm praying for the ministry that you have here at our church. I'm grateful for the work that you do here, and I look forward to hearing about your life group this week. And uh, as always, I look forward to seeing you again on Sunday.